Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Crystal. So, Crystal... You're in the classroom. Can you tell me where you were born? Not necessarily when, because you're a lady. <laughs> and we don't like to talk to ladies about their age. Um, if you can describe to me what it was like where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. Gladly. And uh, I may be a lady. However, I'm very proud of the fact that I was born 46 years ago in a small town called Hermiston, Oregon. And we lived there until I was about six months old. And then we moved to West Virginia and we lived there for about 18 months where my dad worked for the... United States Agricultural Department. And then we moved around from there a lot. And I finally started uh, elementary school, pre uh, kindergarten in Tremont, Utah, a very, very small, small town. And I fondly remember my kindergarten teacher, his name was Mr. Manning. And Mr. Manning... <laughs> He would have milk drinking contests so that whoever drank their milk fastest would get a little prize and whatnot. And he taught me all about centrifugal force by spinning a full bucket of water around and around and around and not dripping a drop. And I absolutely loved him. And then Mrs. Roach was my uh, tumbling teacher and my first grade teacher. And she had hair down to her calves and she would only let it down one day a year so that we could all wonder at it and other than that she had it in this giant beehive up on the top of her head so very small town life growing up what was her first name Rapunzel I don't remember <laughs> Rapunzel Roach no <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean, it was absolutely beautiful, straight, long, Crystal Gale type hair. It was, it was, I always thought I wanted hair that long until one day I saw her sit down and it like jerked her head back when she <laughs> sat and I was, oh, that's whiplash, not good. So, um, so yeah, I had a very fun very small town childhood and then we moved around a lot, uh, through all of my schools, I think I went, I went to two different kindergartens and I went to two different third grades. We were constantly going and moving. We lived in Nebraska and we lived in multiple different places in, in Utah, whether it was down in Salt Lake or up in Tremont. And uh, my parents got divorced when I was eight years old and I became a challenging child at that point and was acting out. So my mom and my teachers didn't know how to help me. And I ended up, my mom made this deal with one of my teachers that if I behaved and I was really, really good in school, Monday through Thursday, that I could have every Friday off. <laughs> so I got to play hooky every Friday because I was a difficult child who was really struggling with my parents having gotten a divorce and the fallout that happens between those two people and the children in the bottom of it and um 
uh, eventually at six, in sixth grade, I moved to Wyoming and lived with my dad at that point. And that uh, very small town again, Wheatland, Wyoming. So the second half of my sixth grade year, I was in Wheatland and 3,271 people, very small town. And so that... Go so ahead. did that change your attitude then when, when you moved in with your dad? It did. It did. Um, my mom was a single mom of five kids. We had, you know, she had been raised and believed that she was supposed to just be an at-home mom taking care of the kids and the spiritual needs of the family and the house and whatnot. And so when my parents got a divorce, that meant that she had to go into the workforce because now she was a mom with five kids. She needed to support herself and us kids. And um, just between the two people, my mom and my dad and, and trying to navigate life and my dad got remarried, I was not exactly... I personally wasn't feeling uh, the love that I needed as that kid, you know, one mom, five kids, she's got a job, she's spread thin, she's running on burnout and trying to figure things out. And, and um, all of us kids were fighting and challenged. And so moving to live with my dad was my way of trying to find a place where I felt more like I belonged and was more stable and I could get more attention in my mind on that level. So it did change me in that aspect. And yet it also gives you a completely different world to be living in because now I'm living with my dad and my stepmom. I went from a really big city where there were hundreds of kids in the school to a really small town where literally there were maybe a hundred kids in each class, meaning sixth grade was six, was 100 kids. So that meant that everybody knew my parents. That meant that everybody was keeping an eye on me and you tell a joke on one side of town and ride your bike to the other side of town and it's already an old joke. Um, so uh, you have to straighten up. You, you have to, mm. but that doesn't mean that I was completely, completely different. It meant that I didn't have, one of my siblings moved with me. And so there were two of us that now lived with my dad and three that now lived with my mom. And I didn't have those extra siblings to fight for attention. Um, I readily got the attention, <laughs> whether it was, you know, whether it was um, telling me that I'd done something wrong or, uh, hey, let's teach you how to clean the house. Or um, my parents, my dad and his wife uh, managed a 44 apartment complex. So we learned the value of hard work and we were constantly mowing lawns and painting stairs and scooping snow and dealing with the sprinklers. And there was always some kind of work to do. So my, some of my extra energy was often translated into physical activity, taking care of this or that a lot of responsibility. Uh-huh. So I guess that um, could tail your playing hooky on a Friday then. Yeah, I had to go to school every day. <laughs> there, was, there was no more of that. Um, yeah, and so did that change your attitude at school as well? Then, when you when you moved in, you, you got you were in a smaller class, you were in a smaller school, and um, and if you did mess around, it, it wasn't long before the uh, the old man got to hear about it. 
right? Yeah. On some levels it was new because I, I got to start fresh and the kids, I was kind of cool because I was the new kid in school and it was a novelty because not very many people moved to Wheatland. So you didn't have that new kid very often. So that gave me extra attention, which calmed me down. And then you move into junior high and I got into volleyball and you have your friends there and school on many levels became this escape for me instead of, I hate being here and I need my safety in my home. It was, I actually like being at school and being away and being effervescent, bubbly, obnoxious as I want to be in school with my friends. So yeah, I didn't have a problem being there and enjoying and uh, the weekends were obviously for work and mowing and cleaning stuff up. So did you live in one of the apartments in this block then? We did. Hmm. Yeah. And was it was it a sort of a, a large one? Did you have your own room or did you have to share it with your, your sibling or we had taken so uh it the one A the A building was four apartments, two on top and two on bottom, and we had knocked out a wall in between the two upstairs, so it, it made it a larger quote unquote three bedroom uh two bath apartment. And in that vein I was able to have my own room and my older sister who moved over there also had her own room so I did have my own space to retreat to as I needed to and yeah Mm. so let's have a look at your school then (laughs) Uh, you say you said it was a fairly small school so Mm -hmm. um and only a hundred kids in in the year group Um, yeah was it was it a streamed school? Were you sort of in streams, or they were they were just sort of mixed uh, abilities right through the school? Or right yeah, just the year? general education. Yeah. So, so you had some bright kids in the class, and you had some um, not quite so bright kids as well. So, did that yeah. have an effect on the on the standard of education that you were getting at the time? I'm sure that it did in the same aspect. It was small town. So we are the movies that we got were nine months late. The music that we listened to, you know, I graduated, but in the nineties, but we were listening to the music from the early to mid eighties. Like we were automatically just a little bit (laughs) slower. (laughs) And I don't mean that, I don't mean that people from that town are that way. I just think that it life in general was a little bit slower. And I mean, many of us have grown up and and done wonderful things and become very intellectual people. And some of us have stayed um, more middle of the road. And, and, and there are some of us who have chosen to remain farmers and ranchers there in town because that's home. And I think that you have that in every school. You've got people who choose every path possible. Um, but so yeah, we were... Yeah, so it's not quite downtown Hicksfield then, but um, <laughs> but, 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 but being out in the sticks like that, I guess um, the big cities uh, got it all anyway. So, uh, yeah, and so it trickles down. Yeah, I mean... You... All, all, all the fashions and everything takes a bit of time to, to get there, so... 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there were there were weekends where you would, some of those country music songs are absolutely 100% true. You know, you went out to the farm and you were playing music in the barn and hanging out with people and you'd, you'd somebody would sneak in some beer and whatnot. And you had everything and everyone there. You had people who loved to go to the rodeos and a lot of people wear boots and a lot of people wear cowboy hats and you had just you had the jocks and you had the intellectuals and you had some of them you know you had the smokers and and um but it was much just it was just smaller and less extreme because we were so tight knit you know so i guess yeah so utah's right in the middle of cowboy country Utah? Um, yeah, Utah. It is, isn't it? It's, it is cowboy country. Well, Utah, Wyoming is more cowboy country than Utah, but yeah. yeah. It's next door, isn't it? Yeah, it's next door. <laughs> you, you, you have to, you have to, I'm sure the cowboys were chasing their cattle across the, the, the state line. <laughs> At what time? Yeah. I mean, there are parts of Utah that are still very um, rural and they do have cattle and stuff. Um I the parts of Utah that I lived in were more metropolitan. So living in, we lived in Salt Lake, and then up further north, and then down south in Utah, you have Zion's National Park and St. George, and so you have more of the touristy. Um, they call it Utah's Dixie because it's down south and lots of sun, and it's hotter down there. So, but Wyoming is pretty wholeheartedly. Cowboy hats and boots, and mm. um, people joke around that they were the original uh, social distancers when it came to <laughs> when it came to COVID. They already had it down because mm. we Very like our nice. space. Yeah, leave, you know, leave us alone. We're good. Hang out so, in your spot. We'll hang out in ours. Yeah. So, been in in the northern part, up near Salt Lake City. I guess it's Salt Lake City you're on about. Um, yeah. Which, as far as I can recollect, is is quite a large ski area. Did you get to ski during the week? Yeah. They, I only went... I live in Colorado now, and I, only, I have only gone skiing once, maybe twice in my entire life. I love the mountains. I love sitting in the trees and having a cabin, listening to water, you know, a river going by, that kind of thing. But skiing has just never been... One of the things that I went for. It's just a I know. way of getting around the mountains. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, getting, it's getting close to nature in the wintertime and moving quickly when it's getting cold. <laughs> right? I have dear friends who love to go snowshoeing, and I just, I think that's a lot of work. <laughs> Yeah, that might be a bit of work, but um, I don't want to go tromping through that. I want to be curled up with a nice cup of cocoa and a hot, <laughs> a, a good book, or ch- chatting with a good friend and watching the snow come down. Whatever that is, I'm, yeah, yeah I'm more of a cozy kind of mm. gal. <laughs> Sitting in front of the fire, watching the uh, or having the apres ski, but not doing the ski bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, we strayed off slightly. Um, let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's yeah. drag you back into your to your school days. Yeah. What was your favorite? What was your favorite subject? Which one did you excel at? I loved art. I loved art, and I loved choir. Ah, bit of a yeah. singer. 
What? Uh, yeah, I play with singing. <laughs> I can yeah. sing, you know. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Well, Are you going to regale us? Well, not unless I want to put everybody off. I mean, my <laughs> problem is, I think I can sing. The, the, the truth is it, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Oh. I know. Doesn't I doubt stop me that. Trying, no. I, I doubt that. I I'm sure when I, you've got, when you're great. the only one in your car and you've got that radio blaring, you can <laughs> you can carry a tune seven ways a Sunday. <laughs> I can do, I can do a, I've, I've got a great happy birthday song. Oh, see, that's perfect. Yeah. So is it yeah. anywhere near your birthday? July. Oh, it's just gone. So, yeah, exactly. Um, here you go. You, you ready for this? Sure. Happy birthday to you. As was tomatoes and stew and bread and butter in the gutter. Happy birthday to you, Crystal. <laughs> bread and butter in the gutter. That was fabulous. <laughs> Thank you. you. Yeah, that's delightful. Perfect. <laughs> nice job. Yeah. I uh, In high school, I actually, I was really proud of myself. I accompanied the choir for one of the songs that we sang, and that was a, yeah, check that out. I only play with the piano. I don't really play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't read music. <laughs> I'm a little bit tone deaf as well, so. I do like I do, I do like listening to music. I do like country music and uh, yeah, all sorts of music. I like a bit of classical as well. So yeah, I'm all over the board. I even though I grew up in country, you know, in Wyoming, I I'm all over the board. I love the '60s and '70s. I love listening to that music. I enjoy rap. I enjoy the classical. Um, Everything except for like the squealing, yelling, you can't really understand the words. I, I don't have a, I don't have a love for that, but everything else, I really take your pick, take mm. your pick and let's just enjoy some music. Cause that's, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. did, did you have, um, any theater studies? Did you do any of that? Did you put on plays in that school or, or was that? Just a too small school. You just had a choir that that sort of sung at concerts and things. We had, we had. I sung in concerts largely. We did have a theater company, but we didn't really do any plays while I was in. My younger brothers did plays with that school. Um, so, other than band and choir performances and show choir, where they would do the dancing and the singing, we didn't really have a whole lot. Um, the other way I have done theater since as an adult and I absolutely loved it but as a as a come on to that then yeah but as in high school it was I I loved singing I loved the joy of that and I I have a good range so the I didn't know it at the time she would move me around in the choir so sometimes I would be singing with the tenors and sometimes I would be singing with the altos or the sopranos and I thought it was just that I had a really sucky voice <laughs> I learned later <laughs> it's like oh now I gotta sing here I'm sorry guys I didn't mean to you know um but I learned later that it was that I had such a range that if she needed more boost in the tenors, she could put me there and I could absolutely belt that tune and help her out in that range. Um, so 
I was always moving around. I was always enjoying it. And I loved learning how the different harmonies come together. And to this day, oh, sitting down and listening to a really good barbershop quartet or a really good chamber choir, I just, I, oh, it brings me so much joy and so much peace. Yeah. So, yeah. That was your best. What was the worst subject? What was the one you didn't want to go out for? What was the the one that you hated going into school for? Uh, I really didn't like biology and I didn't like social studies. I didn't want to dissect the frog. I was not thrilled with hurting animals that way. And that's just gross to have to pin it down and um, not happy. And then... I liked social studies because I got to go to Washington, D.C., and that was, you know, a vacation away. But realistically, it was just kind of one of those boring, let's just get through this classes. (laughs) I liked English because I loved telling stories and I liked writing. So that was a bonus for me. Mm. Yeah. So did you graduate high school? With honors, yes, or did you I just did. scrape through a pass? Well, okay, not with honors. Uh, if I'm being honest, I was a BC student. That's good. But I didn't really study. If I had applied myself, I am sure that I would have been an AB student. Um, but I've been blessed with the ability to grasp things really quick in life. Mm. So I, I hear something or I read something and I'm able to assimilate it pretty quickly. And so if I had if I had put a little effort in, I would have been better. Mm. Yeah, I think that's uh, that. That's on an awful lot of people's um, uh, cards on their report cards. Could have done better had they applied themselves. <laughs> <laughs> but I admit it. <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> so <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what did you do after you gradu- graduated high after you did you have a prom and then did you graduate? Uh, so um I went to my senior prom, not my junior prom, and uh it was it, yeah. It was it was okay. I wasn't so uh, I was in a religious family and this family, the the beliefs were that you were supposed to marry somebody in that religion and then have babies and multiply and replenish the earth. And, and the challenge for me in dating and whatnot in high school was the fact that there were only two boys, even remotely my age, that were in our religion, which meant that dating was kind of a why. Um, I did date, but there was, you knew that there was nothing long, long term in it. There was no real purpose in it. And so going to the dance, it was like, yeah, I went and I had fun and I enjoyed that. And yet it wasn't this... It wasn't as memorable and exciting for me because um, these are just people that I'm going to leave behind in my brain. It was just this. And I do like to this day, there are a couple of girlfriends from high school that I am so, so close to and so very grateful for them and who they are. And and the fact that we do still have that connection with each other. But I none of the guys I. Yeah. 
two people from all of my high school career that I actually still stay in contact with. So it just wasn't there for me. And so when I graduated, I stayed in town. I was working at the Pizza Hut and uh, playing with being an assistant manager or a shift manager at Pizza Hut. And I decided I was absolutely done with the small town life. And I moved back to Utah, which is where I moved back in with my mom. And got the heck out of small town USA. <laughs> <laughs> so, what happened after you left, left Pizza Hut then? I, I got a job at a bank um, in downtown Salt Lake City, and I absolutely loved it. I loved the money. I loved the people. I loved customer service and I moved up the ranks. I was really one of the people they enjoyed having there. Um, I loved my job. Absolutely loved my job. And then I, uh, got engaged and decided to get married to this kid that I had met in Wheatland while I lived there. And, moved down to Arizona. So I went from Wheatland to Utah to Arizona and lived down there for a year and a half and said, you know what? There's no way I'm going to be pregnant in 120 degree heat. So if uh, we're ever going to have kids, we have to get out of here. And so, so we did. Um, we ended up moving back to Utah and that is where we ended up having our kids our kids and then from there he worked for Sutherland Lumber Company so it's kind of like a Home Depot where it has all of the home <laughs> stuff that you can need and uh, they transferred us to Colorado and I have been in Colorado ever since it is home it is where my roots are absolutely 100% planted right here and I don't think I'll ever go anywhere else I'll travel and I'll follow my wanderlust but uh, Colorado is absolutely where my heart is. Of course, John Denver came from there, didn't he? <laughs> Rocky Mountain High, baby. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those so, purple mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Love to go and ski there. Yeah. I hear it's beautiful. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a telemark <laughs> skier, so I mean, I, I, I'm happy to do backcountry skiing or, or jump on a lift and, and, and ski down quite happily. Yeah. And, and I used it's to beautiful. I used to oh, you did? Telemark skiing, yeah, it's great. Yeah. People so, love it. They spend mm. days and thousands of dollars getting getting lift passes and going and enjoying, and, and I know a lot of snowboarders, and uh, they just... The they snow just spend is all day sat on the backside, even putting <laughs> the, the board on or taking it off again. What's that about? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I don't know. I've never snowboarded. I'm terrified that I'll just look like a fool on the slope. So I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'd be on my backside more than anything else. So. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't notice the difference. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. Um, right, banking. Did you st stick with banking after you, you moved back? Did you manage to did you get a job in banking when you got to Colorado? No, once I, so I got the job banking and then we had kids and I knew in, in my upbringing, the belief was that I was supposed to be the at-home mom and I was supposed to take care of the kids. So I found jobs like working in daycares 
so that I could still be with the kids and yet still earn some income and help us make ends meet. And so we did that. And then we moved to Colorado when the kids were six months and 18 months old. And uh, that time I got a job at the YMCA in the daycare and uh, then moved up to the front desk. And I did a ton of odd jobs. Oh my gosh. I, for a while, I built grills, like barbecue grills. <laughs> yeah, the YMCA, baby. I, I, <laughs> he's over here doing all the signs. Yeah, I'll I worked for the YMCA. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I worked in the daycare at the YMCA and met some absolutely lovely people. And then the one time, I got to tell you, there's this one time this child sneezed and his... Ah, the snot came out of his nose and it was an inch wide and it was hanging like an inch below his chin. <laughs> and I went, mm, I went to help this poor kid with his nose. And as I was wiping his nose, I was gagging. It was so bad. And this is when I realized that um, uh, daycare was okay. no longer where I needed to be. Uh, and a couple of days later, a baby had a blowout diaper and I was trying to clean them up and uh, again, could not handle that. And I was like, uh. so then I moved up to the front desk because obviously the daycare was no longer, no longer a place of refuge for me because Oh, this was getting bad. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I moved up to the YMCA's front desk and loved working with the clients there and checking people in and signing them up for their their swimming lessons or their personal training lessons and whatnot. And in the same aspect, I had other jobs. Like I was I um, building barbecue grills at, uh, as a sideline and I was getting paid 25 bucks per grill that I built. So I, and I, I got, I could build an entire grill in 30 minutes complete with the side burners and all that stuff. I was a pretty good, um, that was a pretty good side gig. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's hundred dollars an hour. I know. I know. It was it was it was pretty good. So um so I would do that I, just, and I just just gonna take you back to the YMCA thing. Yeah. Um a couple of years back I did a motorbike tour with a mate and we uh-huh. ended up in a YMCA that used to be a prisoner of war camp during the Second oh. World War and it was called Colditz Castle. Wow. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Where was that at? So in Lower Saxony in Germany. So wow. it is, they, they they turned it turned it into a, a a YMCA where you can go and stop. Yeah. You can go, you can stop, you can spend the night, yeah. you can mm-hmm. Yeah. So, was, <laughs> so we did that. So there's, there's yeah. my little YMCA story. Spent two <laughs> two nights in Colditz Castle. <laughs> <laughs> and we escaped. <laughs> you made it out. That's yeah, that's we, the important. We did a home run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good job. Congratulations on getting out. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't even know well, where I was, I was at. We were talking about building barbecues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <to> barbecues. 
<laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I had multiple different jobs. I was collecting addresses. Sutherland's would have these um, loyalty cards and people would put their name and address on the back of them. And so I would, they would collect them and then they would get them to me and I would hand type them in. And then there was a monthly postcard that went out that would give them a free four pack of, of, um, light bulbs or you know all these little gifts because they had completed those cards but that meant that they had to be manually entered and then you had to check for all the duplicates and then you had to print out labels and stick them on every one of this is way before digitization and uh so i was constantly i was constantly just finding these new little side jobs that i could do to help out and bring in extra money so i was always with the kids and working on being a homemaker and in the same aspect i was always really just navigating and keeping myself busy and active and it was during this time so i was married i had married him because that's what i was supposed to do and he had married me because that's what he was supposed to do you know we were both in the same religion and it was it was unhealthy it was absolutely unhealthy and um that marriage lasted 14 years but it was during that time when i was building grills and painting murals on my garage walls so that the kids could play with racetracks in the garage. And the marriage was just so challenging that I first heard my spirit guides talk to me. And that is literally where my life changed. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. I spent another nine years um, in that marriage learning and growing and learning about myself and learning about my husband and relationships and finding inner strength and um, perseverance. And um, and then I found theater and that just opened up my mind to the fact that as a human being, I had self-worth and everyone has self-worth. And, and that just was another beginning of a new life and i know that you have a million questions about, <laughs> about how all that came about but yeah it's uh, it's been a journey <clears throat> so i guess by the time the marriage had sort of started to fizzle out a bit um the kids were kind of grown up enough to uh, to leave and uh, made their own way or they were around. they were 11 and they were 10 and 11 when I finally um, felt that it was time to move on. But it took me that long to find my own value and my own self-worth and to know that it was time for the kids to be okay in moving forward. And it wasn't that those nine years were horrible. They, they had their good moments. They had their rough moments. Um, they had their learning moments, which was good. They had their beautiful moments with the kids and they had the ugly moments that nobody ever really wants to talk about. And that's where you grow. That's, that's where life happens. It's all that stuff in between where life happens and you say, okay, what am I doing with this? And what am I doing with that? That's where you learn what your own values are and what your own beliefs are and what your boundaries are. And how am I going to, do I sit with this and do I agree with this? Or do I need to mm -hmm. kick against the system and say, no, I don't agree. And something needs to change. So 
yeah, I was in it for nine years before this one moment happens and I'm finally, it's time, the kids are old enough and we're all going to be okay. And by that time, we had tried couples therapy. We had tried um, going to our church for therapy. We had done what we could to try to salvage things and it made me grow even more like those experiences were a bigger gift for me in owning my experience and owning how I had contributed to the marriage and contributed to the demise and the success of the the marriage. And then where I was at with the kids and how I could support them so that they weren't pawns and how could I be as kind and gentle in this transition as possible? Because let's face it, divorce is ugly. It's never great. And the kids that are involved always suffer and the adults also suffer and struggle. And the hope is that you're not pointing fingers and yelling at each other and that instead you're able to say, you know what, I did this and I recognize this and I recognize how I fed into it. So how can we heal and move forward? How can we be an open vessel for our kids to be able to talk to us? How can we be on a truthful level with each other and a safe space so that when something's not going the way you want it to, or you have emotions, whether those be positive or challenging, you know, healthy or unhealthy, that you have a safe space to bring them and express them and be able to say, I'm really pissed off that this happened and I'm mad at you or I'm mad at dad or I'm mad at this. Okay, that's great. I'm really glad that you're able to say that. I'm really glad that you're able to express that. And how can I support you further than that? You know, how can I help you move forward? How can I help you heal in this moment so that in the future, when you have kids, you can make a better choice? Yeah. So how did you move on? Let's have a look at um, where you moved on to. I had a great talk doc. I had a great therapist <laughs> that helped me own where I was at and theater helped me recognize that I was a human that had value and worth. I mean, have you done theater, Tim? I've seen a huge amount of theater. <laughs> I've never been a thespian myself. Um, my problem is I can't read very well. So when it's coming to reading a script and remembering a script, mm. you might as well not bother. I'm great at ad-libbing. God, brilliant at that. But when it comes to delivering a, a script, you know, I, yeah. I can act up and, and, and act a clown and, and be very, very funny. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'd love to be able to do it, but um, maybe, I'll, yeah. maybe I'll, I'll join a group and... Uh, give it a go if I can. there are lots of improv groups that are absolutely fantastic and they would love to have somebody that can ad lib and bring in more joy I was looking at joining one of these uh, tuneless choirs I don't know if you heard, heard of these tuneless choirs but it's for people like me that can't sing very well <laughs> I think you should do it and then make a CD. (laughs) Yeah. Just give it a go. Yeah. I think you should. I highly recommend and support you in that decision. Just dive in. Go for it. Feet first. I'll I'll, I'll do YouTube sing song. Yeah. Please do. I'll watch that. Yeah. (laughs) I, 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 
dove into theater, I was terrified. I was 33 years old. And then magically, here I am on stage doing my first show ever. And the thing was that everybody was accepting and loving and encouraging. They didn't care where you came from or how you were showed up. They just cared that you did show up and that you have this common thread, this common interest of we're putting on a play and we're all doing this and we get to pretend like we're somebody that we're not. And we just get to have a lot of fun and hang out together and let's laugh and sing and dance and play around. And it was amazing to me. It was so transformative for me to be able to look at these people and then look at myself. And I was going home uplifted and encouraged and happy. And the happier I was, the more unhappy my husband was the more frustrated he was that I was no longer like subservient and, Mm. and in the box that he needed me to be in. And I, I just, I, I didn't care that he was so miserable because I felt so joyous. And that sounds absolutely horrible to say. And yet at what point do you sacrifice yourself for the people around you? How do you, you know, when, when is that an unhealthy thing? And theater became that catalyst for me. Theater became that you're amazing. You are a beautiful human being. People like you for exactly who you are and how you're showing up. So show up authentically. If people don't like that authenticity, they don't need to be in your face. They don't need to be as much of an integral part of your life because they're not supporting your true self. And having that confidence, having that self-awareness, Having that grow was an unbelievable gift. And I tell you that every show that I did, I, I, I did it for like five or six years and I did probably 15 to 20 different shows in that amount of time. It was so, it, it, I was, oh, it was amazing. But every show had a different cathartic piece to it. Every show had a new healing moment. Every show had another gift. I did one show where I was a religious woman who was getting a divorce from her husband. And that show opened on the same night that my divorce was final. <laughs> you couldn't make it up. So Cannot make it up. So you had a, a part that was live. <laughs> yes. Brilliant. I was living anyway, my right, life. Come on, let's, let, let's, yeah. let's explore some of this. What was the first play you put on? What part did you have in the first one that you you got involved with? Come on. My first show ever was Once Upon a Mattress, and it is a spoof on the princess and a pea. And I was typecast for my laugh (laughs) because I went in for the audition and I was terrified. I had never auditioned before, never had. And I was supposed to sing in front of people. And remember, I told you, I thought I had a horrible voice because my (laughs) choir coach kept moving me around everywhere. And uh, so I go to the audition and I'm supposed to sing. And the guy goes, hi, my name's Bernie and I'm the director. And I said, hi, (laughs) I'm Crystal. (laughs) And uh, he was like, okay, great. What are you going to sing? And I sung and I totally botched the whole thing. And he said, can you come back tomorrow and sing a different song? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> Couldn't help it. So I come back, I sing a different song the next day, which is one I'm very familiar with, not a problem. And I'm cast as Lady H. And literally all I did was, I mean, I was dancing and whatnot in the ensemble on the stage, but my one moment of fame in that show was I was standing next to this I mean, he was at least a foot taller than I am guy and he's a knight and we're walking down a street and we come across this depressed jester and he asks the jester a question and the jester responds and I am supposed to laugh uncontrollably. And then at some point I stop and I look at the knight and the knight says, is that funny? And I say... I don't know. And then we walk off stage. I was literally typecast for my giggle because I was so uncomfortable in this audition. And that is what started my love of theater was, yeah, insecurity and giggles. <laughs> Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that sounds a bit like a Noel Coward play, a bit of a farce. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love farces. Really, it was really fabulous. No code farces. They're so funny. If I don't yeah. And there, this one, this one was like Hollywood. Like we had really, it was. Uh, we worked so hard, and we were so close together. And even to this day, so that was thirteen years ago. And to this day, about half of the cast still hangs out and gets together for parties and whatnot, which is unheard of in community theater. You just don't have that. And we had about thirty people in that cast. So, yeah, it was brilliant. So fun and so true, and yeah, it was. It was a Vegas-style production in a small theater. It was great. It was great. Yeah. So, what's the, <laughs> what's the biggest venue you've played? What's the biggest theater you've been in? Uh, well, I mean, I did get to pretend that I was um, directing music on, on the stage in Australia, but... Um, that's not the biggest play that I've done. Uh, it's definitely um, the theater in Longmont, Colorado, and that's a 300-seat theater. So not huge, but definitely bigger. Intimate, they call that. Intimate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I love uh, the the thing with the, the, the sort of Broadways and um, um, Shaftesbury Avenue and that the big big theatres yeah. is that quite often they 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 just seem a little bit um, I don't know removed removed yeah I love the smaller theatres I love I love um, local theatre yeah and I, I went to one play at the Trafalgar Theatre in in um, Whitehall uh -huh. it's, uh, it's just off Trafalgar Square and it's just a small theatre and we were so close to the stage mm. it was like we were part of, of the, the performance itself yeah <laughs> we yeah were right there right I on love stage. those and where you can brilliant. see yeah where you can see their emotion and their facial expressions and the micro micro yeah. movements that are going on and it's just oh yeah, yeah, that that right yeah, there. It was, yeah, I, was, I loved it. And, yeah, um, yeah. We, I got, I, we, we do go to the local theatre here uh, when they put stuff on, and it's just just great fun. I mean, some of the acting is a bit iffy, but 
is provincial theatre, darling. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, but it is, it's a lot of fun and, it, and it's affordable. Whereas um, for us for us to go up to, to London now, it's, it's, it's expensive to... I mean, you're looking at sort of 90, under quid for a ticket, then you've got to get to London, then you've got a night out in a hotel, and, and, and before you know it, you've done about five or 600 quid just for one night out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Local but, community theatre is so where it's a, at. For a tenner <laughs> in a <the> local <laughs> theatre. Yeah. <laughs> Which just gives you a lot of joy. Yeah. And they put on some really good stuff, and uh, and you always get somebody who's not brilliant, but they just make it. <laughs> But they're trying, you know. Absolutely, they're, they're in there. They're, they're, they're doing a better job than probably I could do. <laughs> there again. Yeah, yeah. You look at it and say, "I could never do that part." Good job on you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So bring us a little bit more up to date. What are you up to at the moment? Oh my goodness! So um, now I'm a writer and a teacher. Now I I host podcasts where I get a talk with extraordinary people like yourself and uh, talk about self-care and journaling and bringing some of the old beliefs out of, let's get them out of fashion, meaning that I would rather people believe that self-care is fantastic and that we're all worthy of it and we should all get it and that taking a break is a strong thing to do, not a weak thing to do. And I teach people how to own their own contribution to their own lives and they can create the life that they're living. They don't have to sit back and say, well, I'm here because you did this. No, 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 no. What choices brought you here and how did you create what's there and how can you change what's there and what do you need to heal so that instead of reacting to people, you can be present with them and say, yeah, I get that. And I think I might have some inner work to do because that kind of pisses me off, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> we all, we all have these triggers. We all have these experiences that, that, that stem from our growing up, from society, from all of the lessons and the boxes that we were taught and given and raised with and, mm. and looking at those and stepping back from them and saying, what do I contribute to this? What do I believe? What do I hold? And what do I let go when we look at what we contribute to that and we start seeing the why we're reacting behind the what the reaction is, life shifts, life changes and we find more peace and this radical self-awareness helps us find compassion for ourselves, for our parents, for the people that raised us and the people that raised them. It flows out into every human being that is around us because instead of judging them, you're able to say, yeah, you've probably got some shit too because <laughs> we all have it. We all have that stuff that we've got to deal with, that we've got to work with. And yeah. so I help people work through that. I help people find a gentler, easier way to heal the past and embrace the future, how to find your voice and be able to say, you know what, I'm a worthwhile human being. I have value and I want to show up authentically in my true self. So that's what I'm doing now, bringing you to the right here, the present moment, the gift that is in this moment. Showing people the way to care for yourself. Because if you can't care for yourself, how can you care for anybody else? Exactly. Absolutely love it. 
even your phone needs to be plugged in or it can't keep going. Absolutely. So <laughs> that's that's great. I, I like that. His phone's got to be plugged <laughs> in to see what's just stop. So if you yeah. don't look after yourself, if you don't look after your own well-being, it'll stop. Yeah. And then, and then, and then you become a burden onto somebody else. Yeah. Instead of you being that, that carer to be able to look after that person that, that their phone has stopped because <laughs> they yeah. had it plugged in. Yeah. That's a great But are you going to sacrifice, yeah, are you going to sacrifice your plug to give them so that they can charge their phone? We like, how far do you want to go? It's, it's yeah. You we have. can help them along the way, but you have to look after yourself first. Yeah. And if you, and, and that's one of the key lessons that I like to get across is that you have to be responsible for you and you have to look after you before mm-hmm. you can start looking after other people. Because yeah. if, you, if you're broken yourself, how can you possibly do anything for anybody else? Yeah. And oftentimes we break ourselves because of the beliefs that we've been raised with, because of the societal expectations and whatnot. So digging through and finding what's authentically you so that you can then start living and taking care of your own beliefs in a way that works for you is, yeah, it all just snowballs into each other it all rolls into each other and it all links together and it all builds and it's beautiful when we stop and start taking when we stop putting everyone else first and start putting ourselves a little higher on that priority list absolutely so where can people get hold of your podcast Well, I uh, my podcast is Breathe In, Breathe Out with Crystal Joukowsky, and it's on any podcast streaming platform. It's a weekly mindfulness and meditation podcast. And then I'm also at Crystal Joukowsky on um, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So go look me up, check it out. I'd love to connect. Brilliant. Then I'll put all that in the descriptions box when it goes out. Thank you. <laughs> Well, Crystal, I think this has quite been quite a nice little chat. <laughs> I you, agree. Thank you, you so much for having me. Been, you have been a wonderful guest. <laughs> you have been a fabulous host. I'm very grateful to have been here with you. Thank you so much. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.